The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Do you think ultimately? Uh, one of your quarterbacks will be best suited to sort of maximize the way Justin can impact a game, and to what extent do you think that could impact your decision? Yeah, it's definitely part of it, Kevin. I, I think Justin's role in our offense, really from day one since we arrived here, has always been very, very significant. Anytime you can you know, infuse the best receiver in football back into your offense, there's going to be ways to not only get Justin going and make sure he has a critical, critical impact on the football game, but uh, those other guys uh, as well who have really kind of enhanced their roles uh, in a time where we really needed it. Um, and the quarterback position absolutely plays into that. You know, I had hoped that by going extra long in the opening segment and we reconfigured the rest of the show, we wouldn't have to talk about the Vikings yet. Here we are after Monday night's embarrassing performance offensively. Defensively, they're great. Offensively, they've lost their way. The the Josh Dobbs balloon has been popped, and it was popped conclusively by the Bears with four interceptions. And to the point where, after the game, O'Connell admitted he considered benching Josh Dobbs for Nick Mullins. Remember when I tweeted and I may have texted on the chain. You it's did. Nick Mullins time. Right, Nick Mullins. That's that he was having the thought at sure. that very moment to go to Nick Mullins to give the team a spark. But for the fumble that they recovered and they thought, hey, here's an opportunity, a little sudden change, and maybe we can get a spark with Josh Dobbs. And they scored a touchdown on that drive. Yeah. He was thinking about going to Nick Mullins. Yeah, sure. But now he's thinking about Nick Mullins, Jaron Hall. Josh Dobbs, and one of the factors is who he thinks will be best suited to get the ball to number 18, Justin Jefferson, who will be back after that week five hamstring injury, off of injury reserve, activated yesterday, and that's what they have to figure out during the bye. Yeah. When they go play the Raiders, which quarterback is best suited to get and keep Justin Jefferson involved, Chris? Right, right. You know, Josh Dobbs, the story's been great. We know that, right? But as we've said, as, as I've said to you on the show before, right, there's a reason he's been on six or seven teams over the last two years, right? There's a reason, you know, the Arizona Cardinals were one and seven. You know, there was some good, but I think even as I told you a few times today, there was always a handful of plays or throws in every game in Arizona where I went, ah, 
A starting quarterback's going to hit that. That might have been the difference in them winning the game. Right? I think the more he plays, the more you'll see his flaws. I think he's a really good backup. You know, like you've said, you put it the right way before. Really good backups last and can carry the team for three or four weeks. But then you start to see and teams start to figure out who they are and their flaws show and you start to go, okay, well, that, that's why he's a backup. So we'll see where this goes. But I, and, and the way Kevin O'Connell is saying that, to me, totally points to Nick Mullins is going to be the starting quarterback if he's totally healthy and ready to go here after the bye week, right? I do, because I think what he's trying to say is Nick Mullins knows the offense. Nick Mullins, there's a reason Shanahan loved him and made him a starter at some point. He's smart, you know. It's like having a a lesser Kirk Cousins out there. I feel like that's what people think of Nick Mullins when you hear him described to where, yeah, he's going to know all the checks. He can handle all the offense. You know, he's a solid thrower of the football. It's not a wow arm, but he controls it well. And I think all those signs would point to, hey, let's put him in with Justin Jefferson because we know he can dish and deliver the ball better than Josh Dobbs. So I would expect to see him uh, when they come back and play the Raiders after this week. And, and that's a great call because, look, it all traces back to the Shanahan mindset of – I've got all the answers on how this offense works if I could just get the players That's right. to run it the way right. I want it to be run. So when you look at guy who has only been here for four weeks and we've seen everything he can do, and he made a comment along those lines after the game, we have enough plays so we can see his body of work. See, the problem is the defense does too, but you've reached the limit of what he can do in that offense. Jaron Hall still learning it. He's the rookie who – suffered the concussion on the opening drive of that first game post-Kirk Cousins to open the door for this Josh Dobbs roller coaster ride. But you're right. Mullins is the guy who knows the system, who knows the offense, who can be trusted to do what Kevin O'Connell wants him to do. So it's no longer just kind of pulling it out of the air or elsewhere right. one play at a time and hoping it works. It is, here's our offense, here's our theory, here's our approach, here's our strategy – this guy's going to deploy it. So I think I'm with you, even though I remember some bad Nick Mullins games. Wasn't there that Sunday night game where I think for a while he believed he was playing for the Eagles because he was throwing the ball to them repeatedly <laughs> yeah. that night when he was playing for the 49ers. Yeah. But, you know, you're in the you're in the chicken salad phase of the season. And when you look at what their defense is doing. Right. Yeah, you know, they don't need they, a ton of offense right now. They don't need a ton. Right. They just need a guy that can take care of the ball and, you know, just, just you know, they don't need – what I'm saying, they don't need to score 30 points a game. The, the way their defense is playing, and to your point, is, is like if they get to 24-20, they got a chance to win the football game right now. And they come after the bye week, and they're better than the Raiders. You got the Bengals right after that, right, with no Joe Burrow. That, sits, that fits them well. Detroit. They got two out of three games with the Green Bay Packers sandwiched in, in between there. You know, Detroit's reeling right now. We're going to talk about Detroit later in the show. You know, they're showing some cracks in the armor for sure. So we'll see where this goes, no doubt about it. But they're not out of it, and I'm not counting them out of it because of that defense with Brian Flores and because what we've seen from Kevin O'Connell being one of the best offensive minds in the game right now, uh, they, they, they still got something to say about this NFC playoff picture, that's for sure. And, you know, we were going to talk about Detroit later, but let's go ahead and talk about it now because there's there's a dovetail okay. or a pigeon tail, as the case may be. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I, I feel like the Vikings now, with this defense that they've discovered under Brian Flores, that 
is more potent than than anything they trotted out last year under Ed Donatel. You don't need a whole lot of offense. And look, the, the chances of them catching the Lions are extremely slim at this point, although they do play them twice in the final three weeks of the season. The Lions feel like they're a little wobbly, and they should have lost two in a row. They should have lost to the Bears 10, 11 days ago. Yeah. They did lose to the Packers six days ago. Here's Dan Campbell talking about Jared Goff, who's become a turnover machine with six of them. Three interceptions against the Bears, three lost fumbles against the Packers. Here's Campbell talking about Goff's recent struggles. Like I told him this morning, it's the, man, once I'm starting to break the line of scrimmage, I got to tuck it away, you know, and uh, it's as simple as that. It's an emphasis we work on in practice. We're going to work on it, you know, like all these little things that come up, um, man, we're not going to just yell harder. We're going to give substance. You know, you teach them, you show them. Um, And here's where you can be a little bit better. Everything from pass pro to the rush to the way we cover to the way we jam to the way we protect the football or don't protect. I mean, we've got there's some stuff on tape right now offensively that we're not even talking about because it wasn't a turnover that's going to cost us. The ball's loose. So it's those things we got to just keep emphasizing. But, man, I'm not getting worried. I I love this. I'm I'm serious. I, I love this. And I love that, man, it's doom and gloom outside our building. And, uh we got six to go. We got an unbelievable opportunity, and I, man, I, I love it. I really do, man. So this is, this is what we find out what we're made of. I love the way he put that too. We're not just going to yell harder. No, we're it's get Substance because I feel great. like so, I feel like so many times, Chris, when like an offense has lost its way, it's just word salads. I remember thinking that with Ken Dorsey before he got fired, when things were really starting to pile up. And there was like a 25-minute press conference, and it's like, it's just words. And I understand you don't want to reveal strategies, but it just feels like they don't have answers. They don't know what to right. do. They don't know how to coach their way out of this corner that they've painted themselves into. I feel like I feel like Dan Campbell knows what to do. And, you know, the reality is Goff is either going to shape up or they will ship him out. The only good news is they won't have to attach a first-round pick to him to get someone else to take him, they can just move on. They can just cut the cord and pivot to Hendon Hooker. If, if I'm not saying during this season, but I think right now Goff's future in Detroit is a hell of a lot less secure than it was when we entered the season. Yeah, his last six games are going to be, you know, a big part of, I think, what dictates Jared Goff's future, right? Because we, we know he's, he's a good quarterback, obviously. We know that, right? But not the kind of quarterback that, Again, when protection's not good or there's an injury or two that's going to take over a game, right? He's a, he's a little bit of a guy that there, there needs a formula around him to succeed, which is fine. There's a ton of quarterbacks in football like that, you know? But, but at the same time, I've never seen a guy uh, who is, can be so good when there is no pressure in the pocket and then be equally that bad when the pressure is around him. You know, he's not like – it's not like he's a coward. He's the guy that will stand there and, oh, somebody's about to hit me. And if he has space to throw an in-cut and he knows he's going to get crushed, he, he will take it all day long. But if the pocket collapses or whatever, he's got a long, elongated motion. He has no other arm angles. You know, the way he throws and the mechanics in which he throws, they're a little awkward in itself too. We've talked about that in the past. And he needs room to throw. He's a space thrower, right? 
And he's not the most thick, strong guy in the world either. So when people bump him or hit him, I mean, Jared Goff is like, I would argue, is the skinniest quarterback in football. When you see him in person, you go, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe he's, he looks like this. I mean, it's it's extremely skinny. So he doesn't play well in those situations. But, you know, like you were talking about in Dan Campbell, I've been around those coaches that yell harder, right? And, and, and this is not that group. Even though everybody looks at Dan Campbell and he looks like he's some big meathead who wants to go in the weight room, he's already proven to me and anybody who's following the sport that they're thinkers there. They problem solve. They problem solved issues last year. They problem solved this offseason with their defense. They'll figure it out and try to fix this Jared Goff situation and do the right things by him. Now it's going to be his job to make sure that coaching translates to the field and he doesn't make some of the mistakes we've seen the last few weeks. They're at the Saints, at the Bears, who had them beaten until they mustered two scores at Ford Field. Bears are scary right now. They've got the Broncos. They've got the Broncos who are chasing a playoff berth, and then it finishes Vikings, Cowboys, Vikings. And look what Brian Flores is doing. You talk about pressure and what it may do to Jared Goff. Pressure is the the key ingredient to that Brian Flores defense where you don't know who it's coming from. They'll line up a bunch of guys right at the line of scrimmage, and a guy will drop out, and a guy will rush, and this guy goes, this guy stays. you got to process a lot. you got to diagnose a lot on the fly. And guys are going to get through. They were all over Justin Fields the other night. They were all over Russell Wilson at times. And those guys have mobility that Jared Goff doesn't. And that's just the end of the season. Before then, you got to get through some of these other teams that are going to keep harassing Jared Goff. And, Chris, I think what happens is once – we talk about this from time to time. You you discover a blueprint. When when defenses are finding ways to rattle Jared Goff, other defensive coordinators are going to say, okay, this is what – this is what messes him up. Agreed. Let's do this and try to mess him up. Agreed. You know, once some, you know, a lot of the times, once some team seems one team do something that works against, you know, a proven entity or whatever, it, it's a copycat league. We talked about this with the Bills. The Bills went to London and played Jacksonville. Jacksonville Jacksonville played a certain way on defense. The next six weeks, everybody just kind of took that game plan and said, "We're going to play that same way against the Bills," and they they struggled. You know, so it was kind of like the code was cracked to a degree. We'll see where the, the here is the issues with Detroit. You've heard me. There's two things that that really jump out to me, and you've heard me bring up one. One, you know, there's probably three things I should say. Uh, but one, the first thing is they can't play man-to-man on defense, right? They don't have a great man-to-man secondary. So you're seeing co- teams with a quarterback and a weapon and a little system, they can pick them apart that way. And then when they do play man, oh, there goes Christian Watson 50 yards deep or DJ Moore 50 yards deep. So it's a little scary that way. The The other side of it is a little bit along those lines too, and this is where it affects Jared Goff. Teams have realized – Amon Ross St. Brown is really good, but he's not the guy you line up outside and everybody goes, oh, gosh, we got to double him or he'll go for a 70-yard touchdown. You know, He's a slot guy that works intermediate routes. Teams have realized you can man up Detroit. There's only one guy in Jamison Williams that's scary, and he doesn't play a ton. There are a little more more we're seeing, but that's the other issue. And then that's leading to pressure on Jared Goff because now we can blitz a little or send five because we feel comfortable about our man-to-man. And then now he's got to throw the ball into tight man-to-man coverage, and we're going to have you know people around him and make the pocket tight around him. And those are the things we've seen Jared Goff struggle with in the past, and we'll see if he can fix that situation. 
All right, and uh, yes, because, look, the Lions' ability to compete with the best teams in the conference is on very thin ice right now. And I think as we get deeper into the season, and a lot of these, just the passage of time, the playing of games, it becomes clear. It's Philadelphia, San Francisco, Dallas. Those are the cream of the crop teams in the NFC, and anyone else is going to have a hard time beating any of those three teams. And it's going to come down to which two end up in the NFC Championship. All right, let's take a break. More PFT Live right after this. Second and 10 at the Dallas 43. Howells back, throws it. Oh, look out. Picked off. It's Bland. It's Bland. He did it again. The whole defense is going to put Bland in the kettle. From 58 yards away, Matt Amendola. Johnson puts it down. There's the kick. It hits the crossbar. It is no good. It hit the crossbar. It came back. The field goal is no good. And the Jag take over. It'll take a knee one time. Snap is good. Kick on its way. And over. And it is no good. He missed it wide left. Ryland missed it wide left. Another rookie beats Bill Belichick. Hold your breath. Ball is spotted. The kick is away. And the kick is... It's Donovan time! He is amazing! First and 10 at the 12. Hurts in the gun. Now Swift goes in motion. Hurts on a quarterback draw. He's at the 5. He's in! Touchdown! The Eagles win! Hurts goes in again! What a game that was, arguably the game of the year so far, 37-34. But, Chris, you know, it plays perfectly into this week's power rankings because the Eagles, in beating the Bills and staying at number one, the number two team, this is Oklahoma-Nebraska, number one versus number two. Let's look at this week's power rankings presented by Toyota. There's that beautiful graphic. There's the Toyota logo. Please support our friends at Toyota who support us. One versus two this week. And – I'm probably I don't want to get ahead of myself this week. I'm probably going to pick the 49ers to win that game because when they're the when they're healthy, they're the best team in the NFL. The only reason the number two is they lost three games in a row when they weren't healthy. Yeah, I I I, I hear you there. You know, does the Eagles find a way to win no matter what? Right, and the 49ers have had a few that yeah, it was you know health related, messed up a game, missed a field goal right against the Browns, all that. Where you know it, it's it's. At their worst, the Eagles still find a way to win. At their worst, the 49ers didn't. So that's where I understand you having the Eagles won. But at their best, I'm with you. I don't think anybody's looked better when they're playing their best football than the 49ers this year. We'll see. Does this Eagles magic go like this the whole year where they just continue to find a way week in and week out? Or the fact that they're not playing their best football at some point come back to bite them in the butt here a little bit and they lose a game or two somewhere down the stretch. I, that's where I'm really intrigued to see the magic of the Eagles here in the, the last few weeks of the season. Yeah. Can they continue to do kind of what the Steelers do, but 
higher level. Yeah, right. Where higher scoring, bigger you plays. You periodically yeah. get outplayed. Right. You periodically get outplayed, but you find a way to outscore the opposition, even on a day when it's not going your way. And that really is a testament to greatness in the NFL. Not every day is going to go your way. If you can win the games that are going your way and the games that aren't going your way, you have something special. You have resilience. You have – because how many times do we see, like, the demeanor of the quarterback? You and I love watching quarterback demeanor in game. You can tell when a guy feels beaten. You can tell when he just wants to go home and crawl under the covers, if not under the bed entirely. And they never have that flinch. They never have that no. surrender. They always believe they can win, and here they are at 10-1. and one. Yeah, no, that's where, you know, as I've said on Monday, they have a little bit of a New England Patriots in their prime quality where I used to watch games with them sometimes and go, man, they're not even playing that good today and they're kind of being outplayed, but here we are midway through the fourth quarter and they're only down by three points and Brady's got the ball and the inevitable seems like it's going to happen. And it kind of seems the same way with the Eagles. You're just like, what, they need seven? Well, Jalen's going to drive them down and they're going to get seven. Oh, they need three? Well, they'll go down and get three. They might get seven if you don't watch your ass a little bit. So it's all, I mean, they got a, they got a quality of belief right now in that locker room that's as strong as I've ever seen with any team. And there's something to be said about that. I can't wait for that game this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. Eagles can clinch a playoff berth this weekend as well, even though it's only week 13. Teams are going to start clinching, but there's going to be a scrum for some of those final spots. I oh, my God. That as the season continues. Look at your power there's rankings. I mean, below. you got teams that in the AFC yeah. that are not in the playoff picture right now. They're not in the playoffs in the AFC. But as far as the top 14, 14 teams go – you got, you know, teams that are that are in the Mike Florio playoffs as far as top 14, and I think that speaks to the AFC and what we got even with the quarterback injuries. You see how good those damn teams are. Well, the Lions took a tumble after losing to the Packers, and it bumped everyone up. That's in the top 10. At the bottom of the top 10, though, the Steelers and the Broncos both jump in because all the teams in front of them lost. The Browns lose. The Bills lose. The Seahawks lose like it was easy for the Steelers and Broncos to make a move. And right now you can't deny the Steelers at seven and four and the vibe they have post-Matt Canada. And the Broncos are the hottest team in the NFL right now. Who would have ever dreamed they would be top 10 in late November after the way they played in late September against the Dolphins, giving up 70 points. That's one of the most shocking developments of the entire season. I mean, 10 and 11 are the shockers of the season. 10 and 11, right there. You got them right next to each other. I mean, yeah, who would have thought this, that they would turn around? And then, and again, almost like the Eagles, they just find a way to win. It's never pretty, the Broncos, but it's kind of like the right game plan. They do the right thing, and then, hey, hopefully Russell can help us at the end of the football game, and we'll come out on top. And that's kind of what they've been doing as of late. The Houston Texans are another. I mean, you know, they're a juggernaut in this situation. They're, I mean, in this whole conversation. Right now, out of the playoffs, right, sitting at the eighth seed, but damn, I mean, how, how could you not be impressed with what they did? The Jaguars are a good football team. I watched that game back yesterday, Mike, pretty in-depth on film. I'm going to talk about it on my podcast later. I mean, it, it's first off, Trevor Lawrence was phenomenal. C.J. Stroud was above, uh, beyond phenomenal. I mean, it's gone beyond, hey, he's the rookie quarterback and we're going to manage him a little in the situation. Like, that was the first game where it was like, hey, things aren't working, and you're going to have to take over. And he took over. I mean, he did everything. 
He made very few throws in the game that were actually like on rhythm, boom, pat the ball and throw it, right? Every throw was like, oh, man, there's pressure. Oh, man, nobody's open. I got to buy time. I got to move around. Boom. I mean, he was unreal for a rookie quarterback to see that. I mean, him and Trevor Lawrence are so on their game. I'm excited about that matchup for the future for a long time. It's going to be great. But the Texans, man, they're, they're real. And let's see if they can hang on here down the stretch and, and, and make their way into the playoffs. The Packers, meanwhile, have invaded the top half of the power rankings for the first time this year. One of their NFC North brethren has fallen off the first page. Let's take a look at page number two. Somebody really wanted me to take the Vikings out of the top 20 altogether. (laughs) It was difficult to take them all the way. I put them behind the Falcons, even though they beat the Falcons and they have a better record than the Falcons. But there's just a sense of disarray right now with that Vikings offense that they're going to need to play their way out of. And you know, this is going to be, I think, one of the biggest challenges Kevin O'Connell has ever faced. After, And he made this point the other night when they lost to the Bears. They've gone 2-2 two and two in the four games since Kirk Cousins suffered his torn Achilles, which, grand scheme of things, that's not horrible. The problem is they won the first two and lost the last two, and they could have won the last two. They could be 4-0 and post-Kirk yeah. Cousins if they just get a little more out of their offense. What he does during this bye... And, you know, the, the bye comes when the bye comes, and it's a little bit late to have it in Week 13. But this is a good chance for them to regroup, refocus, and see if they can kick it in down the stretch where they've got the Raiders, the Bengals, who are beatable now without Joe Burrow, and then Lions, Packers, Lions to end the season. They're still alive, but they're going to have to figure out the offense. they got to figure out the running game. they got to get a running game consistently, and they're going to have to figure out this quarterback position, and Kevin O'Connell is going to have to hope it works. And meanwhile, you know what's happening? Kirk Cousins just sitting back, and the price to keep him in Minnesota just gradually getting higher and higher. Hey, you like it, Kirk Cousins? You might be stuck with him for a longer time. Hey, ho, yeah, you like it, Kirk Cousins? I know. Hey, we'll say, the Vikings are dangerous. If they can get better quarterback play, like you talked about earlier, their defense is a pain in the ass. You get Justin Jefferson, you know, to go along with your receiving core that's damn good even without him. You know, watch out. And Hawkinson. So that little element of what you you were talking about, the Packers at 16, the Rams at 17, the Falcons at 18, and the Vikings at 19, very interesting group of four right there. And all four I look at to go, if they sneak in the playoffs, they're going to be like pains in the butt. Teams are going to be like, man, we got to play them. Right? I mean, nobody's going to want to see Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay come to town with Cooper Cup, right? Raheem Morris coaching the defense. The Packers have, as everybody hopefully saw on Thursday on Thanksgiving, have extreme talent on their football team. They have a lot of young, really super talented football players. And I think they're coming together here along with their quarterback learning how to play here. So that's interesting. The Falcons, we know, have a really good team, but the quarterback is the issue. So uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by that little part of your, your power rankings and see how, see how that shakes out. And when you think about the obsession that the teams at the top are going to have with each other, Eagles, Cowboys, 49ers, it does create an opportunity for someone to get caught flat-footed in the wild card round, Definitely. peeking ahead to the divisional round. And, oh, we're so focused on that next game, we weren't ready for the game that everyone assumed was just check the box and move on to the next level. So it could make for an interesting wild card round. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. 
when we return. After further review, so many of you want this every single week. We'll do it when there's reason to do it. And there's reason to do it not because of an officiating error per se, but because of the reaction or lack thereof to an officiating error. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is one of those moments that unfolded in real time in the screening room on Sunday, watching the Bengals-Steelers game, watching Deontay Johnson catch a pass at the back of the end zone and then lose possession of it as he was falling to the ground. And it took them a little while to realize on the broadcast. I don't want to call it. You heard me yelling, right? You know, right? It took them a little while to realize that was a catch. It all happens quickly, but catch and three feet down, that – Look, in the end zone, two feet down and the ball is enough. He took a third step. Right. And it's as he's going to the ground that the ball comes out, that's a touchdown. Yes. He's not going to the ground while he's catching it. Exactly. He's being shot the ground after the catch right. is over. Exactly. And and we're we're talking about this number one. The official should have should have gotten it right in real time. But then Mike Tomlin should have, especially a team like that, where touchdowns have become precious commodities. You throw the red flag there. When in doubt, when you're a team that is desperate for touchdowns and you've got a new offensive coordinator, that's where these other factors have to come into play. You've got to throw the red flag there. Even if it's crickets in his headset, he's got to understand the potential value of getting lucky there. Because a lot of times you get lucky and they screw it up and they give you the touchdown when they shouldn't have here. It wouldn't have been luck. That was a touchdown, Chris. Yeah, I, I I think, you know, there was some, even in our Sunday night football game, with some spots on third down that John Harbaugh didn't look at it. And he goes, that was a first down. It was a bad spot. And, you know, they ended up going for it on fourth, and they missed one and didn't make another one. Like, you know, these are these are moments in the football game where, to your point, where you got to be a little bit like, hold on, let me take a good look at this. Uh, let me make sure here. And that's where it becomes extremely important and paramount to whoever you got in your ear that's that's been afforded the job or the luxury or whatever of being the, hey, you should throw the red flag or, hey, I'm sitting here and trying to give you advice because I can watch on TV and I'm seeing all the angles right now and I'm not on the sidelines. That, that person's important to get in the ear of the head coach to go, hey, 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 don't let him call play yet here. Let's take one more look at this here before we snap the ball. 
And as we know, what happened? The next play was a fumble. The Bengals pick it up and, you know, change the game for a while. The way you went, whoa. I mean, is Cincinnati going to pull this off? But uh, it was a huge moment in the football game. And I think there was confusion about the surviving the ground aspect. And that was not, like you said, surviving the ground. He caught the ball standing up three feet and then got hit and tackled to the ground which he had already made the reception. So, yeah, they blew an opportunity there. And you're right. When you're a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, you got to be extra careful and diligent in those moments when touchdowns don't come that easy. And that's why I think for any head coach, there's two different factors that drive the decision of whether you're going to use the challenge flag. More than two, but I'm going to put it in two buckets for now. There's the, do I have somebody who's seen clear and obvious evidence in that limited amount of time we have to say absolutely positively, I see it, I see it, I see it, throw the flag. Then there's the other side of it, which is the broader circumstance where maybe the definitive look comes later while they're doing the full-blown review. And we're hoping for a little luck, either in the form of they come up with a view that helps us or they do make a mistake or they reofficiate the play instead of defer to clear and obvious evidence. That's the primary mistake that gets made in the application of replay review. But some circumstances require taking that calculated risk, knowing all I'm giving up is a timeout and I'm giving up one of my challenges and I'm not going to get a third one now because if you miss the first one or the second one, you don't get a third one. But the circumstances require me to say, you know, I don't. And I think that creates three levels then for whoever's talking to you, Chris, There is, I absolutely see it was wrong, I absolutely see it was right, or I don't know. And when you're in category three of I don't know, that's when the other factors drive the decision. Same thing as Monday night when Josh Dobbs throws a 50-yard pass to Jordan Addison who makes a catch in double coverage and... The ball didn't hit the ground. Yeah, yeah, the ball did not hit the ground. John Perry, oh, the ball hit the ground. Hey, John Perry, shove it sideways. The ball didn't hit the ground. You throw the red flag there because you're talking about a 50-yard gain, not a 5-yard gain, not a 10-yard gain, a 50-yard gain. Throw the flag. And look, Tomlin's been doing it forever. Kevin O'Connell's in his second year. These experiences for both guys, I think if you're serious about self-evaluation, they get filed away for the future. Because when you're in that, that range of, I've yet to see a definitive view either way, yeah. yes or no, right. there are times where you just got to gotta say, screw it, because the upside is so much better than the downside that I'm willing to take the risk that they're not going to overturn the I, ruling on the field. I, I, I agree with you there. There's one aspect where I do think, depending on what time of the game it is, too, can be affected here. Like for the one with the Pittsburgh Steelers there, it's the first half of the football game. You haven't seen that definitive view. It's the first. Call a timeout. It's a first half timeout. Call a timeout and give yourself a chance to see the plays and see what happens. Either way, I don't think it was, the next play was going to be a third down anyways. Let's make sure we get in the right play. Okay, we call the timeout. But I can watch this too and see because we're not good. We're down in the red zone and we don't score touchdowns a whole lot. So, one, I want to make sure we get the right play on third down. Two, I'd like to look at this a few times with some other people upstairs who can talk to me and we can f- figure this out. You know, so you don't even have to throw the challenge flag and lose a challenge there. 
That's what I would say in that instance. And I think that's where, you know, Mike Tomlin, the next time that happens, he'll probably reevaluate it and, and take that approach. Because I think that's the safer way than just throwing the challenge flag and then, eh, I'm not sure, right? If it's the first half of the football game, certainly I think that's the play uh, going forward. Here's Tomlin from his Tuesday press conference on the failure to challenge what would have been a Deontay Johnson touchdown. You don't always get an opportunity to make a to get a timely look at things, and particularly as it pertains to scoring plays, um, oftentimes I proceed with the assumption that if if they call it a non-scoring play, then I believe they're not speculating in any way. Obviously, we have automatic replay for scoring plays, and that component, that mechanism, uh, I think if there was any question in their judgment, they probably would have called it a scoring play and allowed the automatic review to happen. And so sometimes when I'm in... Rose stadiums, if I don't get a look or if it's not provided in stadium, I ride with that premise and that knowing uh, because I know how games are officiated. That makes sense, but it speaks to a, a bigger issue. And I've been saying this for years. Once they made replay review standard practice for scoring plays and turnovers, the easy response to that is, wait a minute. Why isn't it also automatic for the play where if the right decision had been made on the field, it would have been a score? Like, that Deontay Johnson should be an automatic review either way. Whatever the ruling, because it would have been a touchdown if they had gotten it right, That's the, those are the stakes. A touchdown is what's at stake here. A turnover is what's at stake. Like, if a guy dives for an interception and the ruling on the field is that the ball hit the ground before he caught it, then you have to throw the red flag. If the ruling is he caught it, then it's an automatic review. We know the stakes. It's the same stakes. And I know they don't want to complicate the game and slow it down. There's, there's certain circumstances they've already acknowledged are important enough for it. They're just ignoring the other side of the same coin. Oh, well, if it's a scoring play, we'll automatically review it. Well, it would have been a scoring play if your officials hadn't gotten it wrong, so you should be reviewing that too. That's a broader issue, but that – that would mean that you don't have to make that decision of throwing the red flag. They're going to look at it automatically, and I think they should look at something like that automatically. Yeah, I think this is one that's going to eventually go that way because I think coaches are in the competition community and all that are going to bang the table. It's Like you said, the stakes are too high. With gambling, the amount of money the league's making, and we're just seeing, you know, guys can get their ass fired after 12 weeks, and who knows, you get a little bad luck with a bad call here or there or whatever. So that's where I think they'll have the backing of the coaches to want to see that, right? And, you know, I know we had the other touchdown in the Broncos game we wanted to review. You want to go over that too with the uh, Troutman one that would show that one at all? Well, this is one where there was a successful challenge yeah. made that resulted in a touchdown for Alden Trapman against the Cleveland Browns. And the ruling on the field, and this is one where, again, the ruling on the field, no touchdown. Sean Payton had to use a red flag, had to risk a timeout to get this touchdown that ended up being the dagger. And yeah, and, and this is another example. This is why I say embrace technology and and rely less on officials on the field. Official looking right at it gets it wrong. And I'm not saying that he screwed up. It's just a lot to process. A tight call time. one. It's that's a tight quickly. one. That's hard. It's a very it's a very tight call. But that's why we should embrace when we have the benefit of these views and all these cameras that are blanketing the action. We we take advantage of that and not rely on the naked eye. The naked eye is very very faulty as we see all the time. When we watch these games and again, it doesn't mean they stink. It just means they're human. 
Yeah, no, that, that that's right. And you know, to to Mike Tomlin's point there, what was the difference too? Sean Payton was in his home stadium. They put the replay on the big board right away, right? The whole fan base, the stadium, Sean Payton could see it on a 70-foot screen and go, oh, crap, he got in there. Look at where we paused it. He's in. Let me challenge it. That's the luxury you do have of being a home team compared to a road team where when they see things like that, they don't put that play on the big board because they don't want to know if he was accidentally in the end zone or not. I think the easiest approach is just review everything. And if you don't want to go that far, scoring plays or plays that would have been scores, turnovers or plays that would have been turnovers, depending upon the ruling on the field, or first downs or plays that would have been first downs. Make those automatically review. That's where your sky judge comes into it again. I think that's where your sky judge comes to you. Because, again, I I don't know if we have enough manpower at 345 to go through all this stuff all the time with all these games. It doesn't seem like there is. So I, you know, that's where I'd be better to have somebody there in uh, in person to expedite the process a little bit. Well, and you make a great point because they've got this expedited review now. They've got this limited sky judge that could have fixed the Deontay Johnson play without a full blown review. And there's a weird sense as to when and how that gets used. But I'm glad you mentioned that because the replay assistant could have overruled the ruling on the field, and made it a touchdown without Mike Tomlin having to do anything. So that that just – there's like this weird, vague, when do they use it, how do they use it, when will it happen, when will it happen. It needs to be a more confident feeling of consistency with the limited sky judge they currently use. One last item yeah. has nothing to do with anything that happened this week. It happened last week when Kareem Jackson, back from a two-game suspension – lowered his helmet, and struck Josh Dobbs, Vikings quarterback, in the chest in the Sunday night game on the opening drive on this cutesy third down play. Here he comes in like a missile. He doesn't get ejected. He doesn't even get flagged, which in hindsight is freaking ridiculous that this wasn't flagged. I mean, look at him coming in hot. Boom. Launches lowering the helmet, and lowers his helmet. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, no ejection, no foul, four-game suspension, Jackson said last night he's flying to New York today to meet with Roger Goodell. And my first thought was he's been called to the principal's office. As it turns out, he wants to go talk to the principal, seeking clarity on it. Here's your clarity, Kareem. You can save the plane fare here. Don't drop your helmet and launch into an opponent. That's your clarity. And I don't know what he's expecting to hear from Roger Goodell, but he's got this sense that it's not being officiated consistently. Others aren't being flagged. Others aren't being. This is that woe is me bullcrap when you see guys engaging in blatantly illegal tactics and they want to say they're not. Right. Uh, Kareem Jackson is an awesome football player. He's one of those guys that will never go to the Hall of Fame, but is a legend in, in a lot of ways. An unbelievable player. Had a great career with the Texans, transitions to safety, and he's a damn good safety for the Denver Broncos. Right? I have mad respect for Kareem Jackson, but I don't have mad respect for his approach to hitting people this year. Not at all. I don't. You know me. When we were in the viewing room watching that game right there, I was literally yelling out going, hey, he's done for the year. I can't believe it's four games. I thought for sure he'd be suspended for the year. Indefinitely, because to what you're saying, one, listen, yeah, there's inconsistencies in the lowering of the helmet stuff and all that, but not when it comes to what Kareem Jackson has been suspended for or flagged for in games. His have been the most egregious, obvious, head-hunting, lower crown of the helmet, launching hits in the game this year. 
I mean, so I love his physicality, but we've seen everybody in football has been capable of making the adjustment of taking the head out, hitting guys between the shoulders and, you know, above the knees right there. He's talented and smart enough to do that too, right? You know, and to me, I'm with you. This is one where they're going to put on the film and go, Kareem, what, what can you possibly even be arguing that you don't think this is a penalty or endangering somebody or yourself? And I think that's probably the realization he'll end up coming to at the principal's office today. There's a deeper issue here for another day. And I got into a little bit of a text exchange argument with a head coach last week about this. But when you see those tactics repeatedly happening, where's the responsibility of the coach? Yeah, I hear you. Right. Is it being coached into him? Is well, it being coached out of I him? I hear you. The coaches don't get fined. No. The coaches don't get suspended. And there was a time where, like, you know, Mike Tomlin wasn't fully on board with these safety changes. Yeah. And I remember Ryan Clark getting fined and then yeah, saying, they hey, were I got killing praised in, in the film for room for that hit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Where's the coach's responsibility to stop a guy who's doing these things and – how much of this is baked into what they want a guy to do? And Definitely. I'm not saying I don't know anything about it. And I'm just saying in the abstract, conceptually, yeah. there's a line there that they don't cross. But it's a fair question. Where's this coming from and why aren't the coaches stopping him from doing it? Uh, it's a fair question. It is Sean Payton, you know, who was the Saints and Bounty Gate, right? You know, it's fair to, to connect those All the lines. more reason for him to coach it out of it. Agree. All the Agreed. more reason for Vance Joseph to be saying, Kareem, you got to stop it or we got to sit your ass on the bench. That, that's exactly right. And, and Sean Payton, that's why I love him because he's known for his offensive brain and doing all that. But, I mean, his teams are the most physical in football always. And I think what you're talking about, you know, there is a little disconnect of – the old school and the new school there, right? I've been a part of some of those where, yeah, it's an illegal hit. We don't want the penalty, but uh, we kind of like it and close doors in the meeting later that week because it shows you we're no-nonsense physical. Sets we're tone. coming at you no Sets matter what. And so what if we get a 15-yard? Like That's still a thought process in football, and it's hard to bake it out. So, yeah, you just try to get it out and do it the right way and not do things like that where you lower your head. And, you know, ultimately what I worry about with hits like that is I worry more about Kareem Jackson there than I do Josh Dobbs. I mean, that's one where, yeah, bad things can happen when you put your head in that position, and I certainly don't want to see that. All right, quick break. When we return, we'll take a look at the best catches from Week 12. More PFT Live right after this. Some news from yesterday, Jonathan Taylor, who missed the first four weeks of the season with a lingering ankle injury, and there was the contract ugliness. They got everything worked out. He's been playing better and better for the Colts, who are surprisingly 6-5 and five, and currently on the inside looking out in the playoff hunt in the AFC. They may be on the outside looking in. He's going to have thumb surgery, and he is expected to miss multiple weeks. They've won three in a row, and they're currently the seventh seed in the AFC, Chris. Now they're going to have to get it done without Taylor, who had 91 rushing yards on 15 carries and two touchdowns in the most recent victory over the Buccaneers. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunate. You know, It really is because the Colts on their offense have kind of hit a stride here as of late. And you've heard me say, you know, one, we talked about it on Monday, right? The blue wall. We're going to build a wall. The, their O-line, their D-line have been great, but their O-line been really good. They play through the run game, and Shane Steichen – is I think maybe other than Shanahan, the best run game designer and play caller in football. 
So their game is dictated off of what they do in this aspect. And, of course, Jonathan Taylor's dangerous. We know that. So that's where it stinks for the Indianapolis Colts, who are making a run and playing some good football right now. And, of course, Jonathan Taylor and the run game are a big reason. You know, they don't have to rely on Gardner Minshew too much. It's just the right amount as far as what they got. So we'll see where they go from here. Six games left for the Colts. They're at the Titans, at the Bengals. They host the Steelers. They travel to Atlanta, and then they finish with two home games against the Raiders and the Texans. Not a lot of losses jumping off of that screen, Chris, but it gets harder without a guy who is going to miss multiple weeks. I don't know what multiple means. Technically, it's at least two. Can they handle the Titans and the Bengals without him? The way Minshew's been playing, and when you've got that streak of three in a row and the blue wall has been rebuilt, maybe they can hold it together while he recuperates. I I think the schedule fits that. you know. And Zach Moss, we've seen him. He's run the ball really damn well this year when he's had a a lot of carries and opportunities. Even last week, he ran the ball well. And again, like you said, that's not exactly murderer's row there as far as the schedule is concerned. I think it's it's teams that you look at and go – that seems to be a style and, and a game flow in which the Colts can win against those type of teams. So let's see where it goes. Take a quick break. I mentioned the Raiders. One of their former head coaches could be angling for a college job. And Whoa. the Raiders could be angling for a former college coach. Whoa. We'll take a look at that next year on PFT Live. Raiders are going to be looking for a permanent head coach after this season ends. Reportedly, they could be interested in David Shaw, the Stanford coach, formerly, was interviewed by the Broncos last year. He has close ties to Broncos limited partner Condoleezza Rice. They ultimately ended up getting Sean Payton as their coach. But David Shaw could be in play to join the AFC West and the Las Vegas Raiders, Chris possibility we don't know which way it's going to go but his name is at least on the radar screen. yeah I, I understand that I mean David Shaw did a lot of great things with that you know Stanford college football program right where it wasn't always top tier talent and he certainly showed you know how to run an organization that way I would just say be careful right I mean again we, we've talked about this before you know it, it, the college game is is vastly different than the NFL game vastly and we haven't seen too many successful stories when it comes to that uh, so that that's one that, you know, Mark Davis better make sure he, he does his research proper in that one. At least Shaw's got some NFL experience. Yeah. Wasn't he with Harbaugh? Was he with Harbaugh for a little while? Yeah. Was I don't, he? I don't think, I have to look that up. I don't up. think he was. I mean, maybe he was. I don't know if he was. I don't maybe think he, he was. Maybe he was with Harbaugh at Stanford. I think maybe that's he, what it was. He was behind. St- yeah, yeah that's what it was. It. Right. I think you're right. Right. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, also, Bruce Feldman reported this over the weekend that John Gruden, the former Raiders coach and former Buccaneers coach and Chris's former coach, a big wild card for the Indiana University Whoa. or University of Indiana. I always get it it's wrong. University of Indiana. Indiana University. Yeah. They get very upset. They get very upset. No, I think it's Indiana University. Damn, I'm I wrong. think they get upset if you say University of Indiana. Regardless, he's a wild card for that job. Then there was another report that he's not a candidate. My understanding is, Chris, he wants that job. Sources close to me tell me he wants that job. I don't doubt it. He, I think, wants any job. Yes, at this point. right. You know, he's not going to get back in the NFL, but he wants to coach football. I, I know that about my ex-coach. That's what he is. That's what he wants to do. He'll give a jump start to the program. I just got to see him recruit kids and talk to parents. Would That's you take a I job on the staff? Would you be his quarterback? Negative, Ghost Rider. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>